Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Relentless Sermon Series, which walks through the book of Judges and sees how God is constantly pursuing His people. We hope this episode will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Here, Take your Bibles this morning, let's go to Judges chapter number 12, and Judges chapter number 12, and... We find ourselves today just coming back into the book of Judges and into our Relentless series, just studying out the relentless pursuit of God uh, for His people. And I hope that the series has been a help to you, and I hope that you've been challenged. If you were here last week, last week we were challenged to uh, really move away from or to not continue in those here-we-go-again moments. And remember the message last week, here we go again. Uh, if you'll recall, you'll remi- remember that um, as we look at the book of Judges, the reason we call it here we go again is because as you come to Judges chapter number 10 and 11, we almost find God with the children of Israel saying, oh, here we go again. You say, well, what is that supposed to mean? Let's remember kind of what's taking place in the book of Judges. God has called the people of Israel to the promised land. It's a land, an area that he has promised to them that they would uh, go and live in for the purpose of glorifying him, for the purpose of pointing others to him. You'll recall all the way back in Genesis chapter number 12, where God says to Abram, pick up from the place that you're in, the Ur of the Chaldees, and I'm going to take you somewhere, and I'm going to make of you a great nation that will point people to me and direct others uh, to me, and that you will be able to glorify me from that place. And so Abram packs up his family, and he travels, and God stops him in the area of Israel, that middle East area that we know now, and God says, this is it. Make camp, and I'm going to raise of you a great nation that will glorify me and speak to others about me. Well, through the course of events, the Israelites, they would be in the promised land and then leave the promised land and go back in the promised land and then leave a promised land again. The last time they left the promised land, they were gone for over 400 years. You'll remember Joseph in the book of Genesis, chapter number 37, all the way to chapter number 50. They had left the promised land, and uh, Joseph, of course, was sold into slavery. And because of that, God used Joseph to save the people of God, and they would move. Joseph and his family would eventually move all of them. Chapter number Genesis 45, I believe, they all move into the promise, or into, into Egypt, and God secures them, but they stay in Egypt. And they don't go back. 400 years pass by. Well, you know the story of Moses. God would use Moses to take the people into the promised land. But they didn't go all the way in. They kind of went around it for a little bit. And they were fearful about what was in the land. And so God said, I'm going to put you on the backside of the desert. You're going to roam in the desert for 38, 40 years. And then I'll take you in. And under Joshua, they actually go into the promised land. Now, in the book of Joshua, it tells us the commands or really the uh, uh, instructions that God had gave them when they moved into the promised land. We've been going through this if you've been in our series, so I'll do it quick. Number one, drive out or destroy the inhabitants of the land. There's enemies in the land since those 400 years, and you've been gone for all 400 years, so Israel, drive them out or destroy them. Number two, make sure you teach your kids who I am. This is God. God's saying, you make sure that you teach your kids, the next generation, who I am, and that I want to use them to glorify me. They've been in, in Egypt all these years, and your family knows that as their heritage. You teach them me. You help them know me. Well, you go to Judges chapter number one, and we find the children of Israel, they move it into the promised land, but they only gave God partial obedience because they didn't drive out or destroy all the inhabitants. They let some of them stay, 
And they failed to teach the next generations who God was. And so the Bible tells us in Judges chapter number two that because of their partial obedience, God allowed them to live under slavery or even oppression from their enemies within the land. And then the second thing that God allowed, Judges chapter two, verses number 12 and verse number 14 says that there grew up a generation that forsook the Lord and knew not God. And so in the book of Judges, Israel, their relationship with God, what we've been defining it all the way through was a cyclical relationship. What is that? What does that mean? Round and around and around and around. Follow God. Don't follow God. Repent. Follow God. Don't follow God. Repent. Follow. That was Israel. Well, when we come into Judges chapter 10 and 11, we find them with that here we go again moment. They had some judges on the scene that you remember Judges 2.16 says, nevertheless, God would raise up judges. He never gave up on his people, even though they had that type of a relationship. God never quit on them. Judges chapter 10, the first few verses, there were some judges that God used. But then they passed off the scene. In Judges chapter 10 and verse number 6, it says the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. And God's like, here we go again. Man, here we go again. And last week we were challenged, don't have those moments. Don't have a cyclical relationship. And we're going to be challenged with that as we continue to go through because in the children of Israel, it never turned out well. And in your life and my life, it never turns out well. When we choose to walk our own way and say, God, I can handle this, it never turns out well. And so instead, you know what? We should just choose to just walk with God. Well, why do we want to do that? Because as we learned on Community Sunday a few weeks ago, God's the heavenly father in Luke 15 that says, I care for you. I want what's best for you. And I'm just asking you, would you do life with me? Do life with me. And man, it makes things so much better when we walk through this life with God. Well, the children of Israel, their here we go again moment happened and God allowed them to be oppressed, Judges 10 and 11, by the Amorites, or the Ammonites. God allowed them to be oppressed by the Ammonites. But God still didn't raise, or God still didn't give up on them. He allowed a man by the name of Jephthah to come on the scene. And Jephthah came on the scene and God gave a great victory in the life of Jephthah. Well, as we come to Judges chapter number 12, we're actually just kind of picking up again in the life of Jephthah. That's where we're at. Judges 12, the life of Jephthah once again, and that's where we're going to be. But before we get into the passage today, I wonder if you've ever had a situation that you've looked at maybe after the fact, and you look at it and you say, you know, that could have gone differently. (laughs) I kind of wish that would have gone differently. (laughs) Let's be honest. Let's be honest. I don't do it very much, but if you've ever had one of those, raise your hand. Okay, if your hand's down, what is your secret? That's what I want to (laughs) know. Because we all have those moments, don't we? We all have times when it's like open mouth, insert foot, I wish that moment would have gone differently. Or actions that we take that we're like, ah, I wish we could have done that differently. Listen, if you're married in here or have been married, you know what I'm talking about. Well, that didn't go that well. You know, maybe I shouldn't have said that. You know, maybe, oh, man, that discussion turned into a heated discussion. Didn't mean for that to take place. And I wish I could have done that differently. I remember when I was a kid, I often tell Dennis and Daniel stories. I'm not telling one of those today. I'm going to keep, I'm not, Daniel's not getting in trouble today. I'm going to tell a Dennis and a Justin story. 
I've told you the story before, I, many, I don't know, maybe a few years ago, but there's a boy, his name was Justin Kleinsorg. We went to school together, and Justin, he was, he was a fun kid to hang out with. He was pretty quick-witted, and so he came over one afternoon. I think Daniel was unavailable, so Justin came over. <laughs> and Justin came over, and, and uh, it was a real hot summer day there in Greeley, Colorado, and our church sat on the corner of 9th and 14th. And 9th and 14th were both main streets. They were both, uh, of course, crossways. And they had the intersection, 9th and 14th, was well-known. A lot of wrecks there and different things like that. And our church in Greeley, it was kind of in, on, the, on the other side of, tra- of the track, so to speak. It was really just kind of a rough neighborhood. But 14th, or was it 14th, 9th and 14th? Is that right? Yeah. 9th went this way. 14th, there was a main, it was a main one-way road. And there were, I think it was a four-lane one-way road, all the cars going that way. And so I remember with Justin, we were thinking, man, what could we do today? Well, we had squirt guns. And so we filled up squirt guns. But at the time, I got like one of the best squirt guns ever. It was the kind that had the water pack on the back. And so you could carry literally like five gallons of water. And so we filled this puppy up. And me and Justin were two kids carrying it all the way out there. We carried it out, and we stuck it by the big tree right there on 14th. And so we could stand behind the tree, and cars couldn't see us coming. And so we loaded up. I had my five gallons of, of water. He had his gallons of water, and we hid behind the tree. And we'd watch, and as soon as that light turned green, we'd jump out, and we'd just start blasting cars just start squirting them. I mean, we just start going and spraying them. Now, it's a hot summer day. There's windows that are down. Okay, well, people are laughing. They're having fun. This wasn't like the time when Daniel and I were throwing ice cream cones off of a minivan onto cars coming. This wasn't like that time. This wasn't that time. This is, I told, I wasn't, I told you I'm not going to tell you any Dennis and Daniel stories today. This was a time when me and Justin, we jump out, we're squirting these cars. Listen, people are driving, they're laughing. Oh, refreshed. Except for one dude. He was in a convertible. And we jumped out and we took aim. And it's right after a red light, so they're not going very fast. I mean, we probably filled up the inside of his convertible with... I don't know, an inch of water, weird, as much water as we could put in. He was in the lane closest to us. We just pummeled him. And we're laughing <laughs> until we hear, Argh! and he slams on the brake. And I don't, I don't know how he did it because he was a big old dude. And he got out of that car. And I'm telling you, as soon as he got out of the car, but Jim, I knew it. I'm a dead man. I'm, I knew it. And I'm like, Justin, run! And we just took off. We left our guns, and we just started cruising. And we're flying by the building. And the next thing I, the next thing I, I hear, I'm about a block away. I was about a block away. And I hear this. It was the loudest snap in the world. And I turn around, and you know whose it is? My mom. And here's my mom. Leo, come here real quick. Here's my mom with this guy. Now, remember, this guy, he's a, he's a big dude. My mom is doing this. She has her finger on his chest, and he's just fuming. And she just has, it, has her finger on his chest, and she is like, that is my son. You will tell me what he did before you kill him. 
And he, thank you, he just starts, he just starts telling her all this stuff. And she, man, we come back and she's like, you boys are in so much trouble. I can't believe, you know, it was a squirt gun, man. I'm still a little bitter about getting in trouble over it. But I remember we had to, we had to go inside. We had to go inside the church and we had to sit down and we had to sit there for like two hours. We couldn't talk. We both got grounded. Justin wasn't allowed to come over for a couple of weeks. I mean, it was just rough. You know what? Looking back on that, I would have done things differently. I would have hidden better. <laughs> Listen, you know what? We all have things in our life that we're going to say, well, that could have gone differently. And that's a humorous story, but we all probably have some serious stories as well. Some things maybe that we've said or some actions that we've done where we say, I wish that would have gone better. Because you look at the results of what did happen and you think, those are results that I did not want. As you come to Judges chapter number 12, we're going to come to the children of Israel, a place in their life when, a place in their life when I believe they would look at it and say, well, that could have gone better. Because let me give you this, the result of their decision the result of the decisions that we're going to see today was the death of 42,000 people. Could have gone differently, but there were some attitudes and some characteristics that contributed, and the results were the death of 42,000 people. I want you to see it with me. Stand, if you would, Judges chapter number 12, and we'll get through our passage today. Judges 12, beginning in verse number 1. Judges chapter number 12. <clears throat> We read, And the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and went northward and said unto Jephthah, Wherefore passest thou over to fight against the children of Ammon and didst not call us to go with thee? We will burn thine house upon thee with fire. And Jephthah said unto them, I and my people were at great strife with the children of Ammon. And when I called you, ye delivered me not out of their hands. And when I saw that ye delivered me not, I put my life in my own hands, or in my hands, and passed over against the children of Ammon. And the Lord delivered them into my hand. Wherefore then are ye come up unto me this day to fight against me? Then Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. And the men of Gilead smote Ephraim because they said, Ye Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassites. And the Gileadites took the passages of Jordan before the Ephraimites. And it was so that when these, those Ephraimites, which were escaped, said, Let me go over, that the men of Gilead said unto them, Art thou an Ephraimite? If he said, Nay, then said they unto him, Say now Shibboleth. And he said, Sibboleth, for he could not frame to pronounce it right. Then they took him and slew him at the passages of Jordan. And there fell at that time of the Ephraimites 40 and 2,000. And Jephthah judged Israel six years. Then died Jephthah the Gileadite and was buried in one of the cities. The death of 42,000 people, you look at this and it is something that could have been avoided. We're going to see this in a moment, but I'll tell you very quickly, the Gileadites and the Ephraimites, they're cousins, they're relatives, they're, they're all of the nation of Israel. They're different tribes of the people of Israel. And yet, we find this inner dispute that results in the death of 42,000 people. I think I would look at this and say that could have been avoided. And what we're going to understand today is 
the characteristics and the spirit that brought, that brought about the death of 42,000 people is still the same things that bring about many of the negative results in your life and my life. It may not be the death of 42,000 people, but I'm telling you right now, what we're gonna see today, the, what was at the root of their conflict still ruins marriages, it still ruins families, it still ruins churches, it still ruins workplaces. There are negative results because of what was the cause in their lives. It's also the cause in our lives as well And when we have those conflicts. And so today we're going to be challenged to avoid some things that will help us not have to look back and say, I wish that could have been different. Let's pray with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Would you take a moment and just in the quietness of your own heart, would you ask the Lord to speak to you today? And commit the time to him and ask him, Lord, please speak to my heart this morning. Dear Lord, we come before you and we pray, God, that you would help us as we go through this. Father, I pray that you would help me, help my mind. I humble my heart before you, Lord, and I recognize that I need this just like every single person in here, Lord. We need to understand what was the cause in their conflict is often the cause in ours. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us. I pray that if there's someone here this morning that does not know you as Savior, that you would help them today to make that decision. Lord, for every believer today, that we would leave deciding we're not going to have to look back and say, I wish I could have done that differently. But Lord, we're going to look forward and say, I'm going to do this. And Father, I pray that you'd help us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. As you come to Judges chapter number 12, we find really the Gileadites with Jephthah returning from the war with the Ammonites. As they come back, you find uh, what took place in our scripture, the Ephraimites coming to them and saying, hey, why didn't you let us go to war with you? And they were, they were a little jealous. We'll see this in a moment. They were a little filled with pride. We'll see that. But they come on the scene and they say, why didn't you let us go with you? Well, Jephthah replies to them, well, I did. I, I invited you, but you did not come. Well, the Ephraimites, verse number uh, four, I believe it is, it, or verse, the end of verse number three, maybe, it says that the Ephraimites kept saying that you guys, hey, the Gileadites, you guys are uh, bad people, and you guys are away from our family, and they begin to kind of just uh, antagonize them, if you will, and it causes the Gileadites to say, fine, we'll go to war. So the Ephraimites and the Gileadites go into war. Now, we need to know this this morning to help us understand a little bit of their heritage, Joseph had a couple of sons, okay? Joseph had Manasseh and Ephraim, right? Manasseh and Ephraim. Well, when the children of Israel came into the promised land, Manasseh actually divided into two groups. Half the tribe settled on the east side of Jordan and half the tribe settled on the west side of the Jordan. The tribe on the east side stayed known as the, Manasseh, the tribe of Manasseh. The, other, the west side, they became known as the Gileadites, so really, Ephraim and Manasseh is like Ephraim and Gilead. They were just supposed to be on the same team. And yet here we find Jephthah with the Gileadites going to war with the Ephraimites. And by the end of it, 42,000 people are killed. It says they go to war and the Gileadites uh, slaughter the Ephraimites. And then the fleeing Ephraimites get caught at the passageways over the Jordan. So there's certain areas you could cross over and they set up guards and someone would come by and say, are you an Ephraimite? 
And if they say no, said no, say, okay, say Shibboleth. And if they said Sibboleth, because the Ephraimites, those, the, the Ephraimites from the uh, east side of Jordan, they couldn't pronounce the S-H. It, wasn't, uh, it, was ju- it, was, it was almost like a language barrier, like we would have maybe with someone from the south. <laughs> Sorry, Miss Anita, I'm not picking on you. No, listen, we all frame words differently, okay? We frame words differently. And so when it says they couldn't frame the S-H, it just means they just said it differently. They said they, they said Sibboleth with a little bit of an accent. I don't know, maybe they said Sibboleth. <laughs> they couldn't say Shibboleth. They said Sibboleth. And so I don't know how they said it, but they said it differently. If they said Sibboleth, they killed them. Made me feel bad for maybe someone from, you know, Judea who really did have a speech impediment. That's a rough day to pass over Jordan. You need for my, I'll see you later. I'll do that tomorrow, you know. Well, at the end of this, 42,000 people are killed. 42,000 family members. All because of this inner conflict. As I was preparing to study and looking at this passage and praying about it and just really digging into it, I see in this passage three specific things that led to our fourth thought, which is the atrocity. The atrocity of 42,000 people, there's three specific things that led to it. And I think if the children of Israel, Jephthah, Gileadites, and Ephraimites would have avoided it, we would be reading a different story. But we're not. So what are those three things? I want you to take your Bible and notice, first of all, that the very first thing at the root of all of this was the spirit of arrogance. At the root of all of this is the spirit of arrogance. If you were to go to the passage, verse number one, it says, The men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and went northward and said unto Jephthah, Wherefore passest thou over to fight against the children of Ammon and didst not call us with thee? When we look at this, what we need to recognize is that the people of Ephraim, they're not asking this because they wanted to be a help and a blessing. Some might read this and say, well, the the Ephraimites, they just wanted to go to war. No. If you do some research, you will find that the children of Ephraim, they were actually, they were reacting in jealousy and in pride. Ephraim is reacting in pride and jealousy, saying, hey, we wanted to be part of the victory. Hey, we wanted to win this war. Hey, we wanted some of the spoils of victory, and they're coming to them in pride. We'd say, well, pastor, how, how do we know this? Because this is what they were prone to do. If you go back just a few years to Judges chapter number 8 with a man by the name of Gideon, Gideon went to war. Remember when Gideon went to war? Judges 8.1 records for us that the Ephraimites, after that war, they came to Gideon and said, hey, why didn't you let us go to war with you? The, The Ephraimites, they had a lot of big talk and no show. They said a lot, but never really showed up. You can go and research the the Ephraimites and research all the wars that they were in from Joshua chapter number um, uh, 10 or 11 or 12 all the way into the book of Judges. And you know what you find? You find a lot of big talk and no action. The Ephraimites, they were known for wanting to just come in after after the fact. They were jealous of the victory that God had brought to Gilead. And so the tribe of Ephraim, they felt slighted by Jephthah. And they were angry that they didn't have that uh, central or uh, uh, um, uh, prestigious role in the victory over the Ammonites. 
It's evident that the people of the tribe of Ephraim, they were more concerned without, with, about getting the credit from the job that was done instead of actually seeing that the job was done. So well, how do we know that? If you go back, the Ephraimites were oppressed just like everybody else. The years of oppression from the Philistines and all those people, and then from the Ammonites specifically, the Ephraimites were oppressed just like everybody else. Why didn't they do anything? Jephthah says to him, hey, I sent you word. I sent you word that we were going, and you did nothing. Well, why were they coming now? Because they were consistently filled with that spirit of arrogance, pride. Good at talking about their courage and their faith, but they failed to demonstrate it. They wanted to say that they were available to accomplish a lot, but they didn't come through. Can I encourage you today, before I move on, let's be careful to not be an Ephraimite, big to talk with no action. There's a lot of Christians that are big to talk with no action. Oh yeah, I'll take care of that, not to follow through. You know, I could be part of that, not to follow through. They come to Jephthah and jealousy and pride and the people of Ephraim, they come off here as what we would call chronic complainers, just coming in and finding a problem. Here's this great victory, right? You'd think that Ephraim would be coming, man, thank you. You helped deliver us too. But now they come and they say, why didn't you, why didn't you take us? Why couldn't we be a part of it? Spirit of pride. The work's done. God should be glorified, and yet they're complaining. I'll tell you this morning that this whole thing, all 42,000 people being killed and probably more, this could have been avoided had Ephraim remained humble. But instead, they're filled with pride, jealousy, with arrogance, and now they're fighting those that they should have been for. They should have been thankful for the victory, but instead they're jealous and they're wanting the glory. And really, if you think about it, they had nothing to get upset over. I mean, think about this. If you're the Ephraimites and another people group conquer your enemy and you didn't have to lose any men and you didn't have to do anything, the logical answer is, thank you. Have a good day. That's, that's kind of what is common sense in my mind. Hey, thank you, Gil Jephthah, thank you for what you did. And really, there is no reason for them to get upset. They had nothing to get upset over. But you know what? That's the way it is sometimes. Those who truly have nothing to get upset over can very easily, because of pride, let the smallest thing drive a wedge between them and those closest to them. I love how one man said it. He said, those resentments that have the least reason for them have commonly the most rage in them. If you're married in here, probably, listen, probably some of the most, quote unquote, heated disagreements in the home were over silly things. Well, you said this. My wife and I have a, Hannah and I have a joke we have a running joke every now and then that you might even have heard us say. We'll say something like, two weeks ago, you looked at me funny. Why? And we joke about it. It's a thing we heard a long time ago. Hey, two, three weeks ago, you looked at me funny. Why? 
Because every now and then, husbands and wives and spouses and families, man, we can get so frustrated over the silliest, hey, you looked at me funny, why? And we get frustrated over a look, really? I'm speaking to myself this morning. Man, sometimes with people, we get frustrated over the smallest things, don't we? And we can let that pride well up within us to say, I deserve better than what you did to me. And it's not even anything big. That's where Ephraim was. Man, filled with pride. And yet, that spirit, that attitude of pride, it drives a wedge right in between them. Well, pastor, how do you know it's pride? Well, the Bible teaches this. Roman, or Proverbs chapter 13, verse number 10, only by pride cometh what? Look with me, look on the screen. Only by pride cometh what? You know what contention is? Fighting. It's this. You know what we like to do, though? We like to push the blame. Yep, there's contention. <clears throat> there's contention at the workplace. My boss, he's so proud. Yeah, there's contention in our home. Boy, I tell you, if God would just get a hold of my spouse's heart. You know who has pride? Both sides. I believe you can see pride even in Jephthah. If you go back to Judges chapter 8 and verse number 1, Gideon had a different response to the Ephraimites. Gideon's response was, hey, there's still more work to do. Won't you join us then? Hey, there's still more work. There's still more enemies. Won't you join us then? You know what Jephthah's response was? His response was in pride as well. Whatever, I did come to you. Bring it. That's Jephthah's response. You know what the spirit of arrogance does? The spirit of arrogance often brings conflict, and the result of that conflict is never something we want in our life. It's always something we look back on and say, man, I wish I would have done that differently. You can go to Scripture, and the Bible says that when pride cometh, then cometh shame. When pride cometh, then cometh shame. Shame in this verse is disgrace, confusion, dishonor, and reproach. That's the result. When pride rears its ugly head, the result is disgrace, confusion, dishonor, reproach. whole thing could have been avoided had they not allowed arrogance to set in. I want you to think about some of your friendships and some of your relationships or your work or your family When pride is avoided, the results are always better. But as I stated a moment ago, many homes, marriages, job sites, teams have been destroyed because of pride. I see they could have avoided it had they avoided this spirit of arrogance. But I see also this morning they could have avoided the result of the death of 42,000 people had they avoided the spirit of aggression. A spirit of aggression. I see aggression in verse number one at the end. This is Ephraim still talking to the the, the Gileadites. And here's what he says. Hey, you didn't call us to war because of that. Look at verse number one. We will burn thine house upon thee with fire. Because of what you did to me, I'm going to kill you. That's the spirit. Hey, since you never brought us into war, since you didn't let us go to victory, we're going to attack you. We're going to come after you. We are out to get you, Gilead, because you offended us. So here's what happens. Their arrogance, their pride, it's now manifesting itself in aggression. Hey, since you didn't do what we wanted you to do, we're going to kill you. As I stated a moment ago, even if it was true that they weren't invited to war, 
This threat does not match the offense. Hey, you just won a great victory for Israel without me. I'm going to kill you for it. It just doesn't make sense. Yet here they are aggressively threatening to kill, your, kill their own. Do you know what this aggressiveness is based upon? It's based upon the spirit of revenge. Listen, this is based upon the spirit of revenge. Pride and arrogancy and jealousy, it often shows itself through aggression. And aggression is that spirit to make it even. Hey, you did that to me? You better get ready because I'm about to get even. I joke with the kids whenever we're, we're wrestling or doing something, I always look them in the face and I'm very serious with them and I say, hey, you better understand. I don't get even. I don't get ahead. I just simply make you regret your decision. And you know what? We're joking around, but there's some people that that's their life philosophy. You did me wrong. I don't get ahead. I don't get even. I don't get ahead. I'm going to make you regret your decision. I read this last week and then last week or week before last in the news. Road rage. We hear about that often. But this one was crazy. A man pulled a gun out and shot the man, shot and killed the man in the car next to him simply because at the red light before him, he looked over at him. Two stoplights, or two cars sit at a stoplight. This guy looks over. Made a face. I don't know what face he made, you know. He just looks over, makes a face. Next stoplight, guy pulls out a gun, shoots him, kills him. Hey, you did this to me, I'll get even with you. We look at that and we say, that's absurd. That's crazy that he would pull a gun. That's just nuts. I wonder how many times have you felt justified for what you said that cut them down? I wonder how many times have you and I felt justified for the remark that we make or the action that we take because of what they did or because of what they said. I'll teach them to talk to me like that. I'll teach them to say that to me. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'm gonna, I will make it right. You treat me that way, I treat you worse. And how many, listen, I don't want to keep repeating myself, but it needs to be said. How many marriages, how many homes, how many families, how many, how many school classrooms, how many churches, how many friendships, how many coworkers, how many relationships have been destroyed because of that spirit of aggression? What's aggression based on? Pride. Isn't it? You did that to me, I'll get even with you. Man, the result is the death of 42,000 people because of this. <clears throat> they said that to me first. Well, they, they enter, you know, <laughs> I got to tell you this. Our kids do this. If you have children, you've seen it. Right, the kids start doing something, and I'll look to Dennis, I'll say, Dennis, why did you say that to Lena? And he'll say, well, she interrupted me first. I'll Lena, look at Micah and say, well, why why'd you say that to, to Dennis? Well, he said it to me first. We coached football, and uh, we had our last game yesterday, but our very first game a couple weeks ago, six games, so five weeks ago at our first game, and oh boy, on our team, 
the play is going, and he, he was in a perfect position to tackle the ball carrier. I mean, it's, it's literally this kid and the ball carrier, and he's right here ready to make a tackle. I'm standing right there on the sideline. It was right next to him. He could have just pushed him out of bounds. Here's what this kid did. He was coming. He stopped, turned around, and shoved the guy behind him. And that guy just ran down and scored a touchdown. I yelled his name. Hey, get over here. You, go in. What are you doing? And he was like, uh, what are you talking about? I was like, the guy was right in front of you. You could have tackled him right here. But instead, you turned around and you pushed the other player. Why? Well, coach, he pushed me first. And he pushed me from the back. I had to push him back. I said, no, you're going to stand here next to me and learn that we don't get even. We don't need to push somebody because they push us first. We make the tackle. We show, we show how good we are, not by running our mouth, but by actually accomplishing the task. You know what? A lot of Christians have that mindset, don't we? we? It's easy to let that mindset come in, the mindset that says, you did that to me first. I'll get even with you. You, know, you want to avoid some of the bad conflicts in your life? You need to learn the opposite of revenge and instead have that spirit of forgiveness. Romans 12, 19, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. You want to look, at, you want to think about this. Listen, Romans 12, 19. Do you know who wrote it? Paul. Do you know who he wrote it to? He wrote it to the Romans who were in Rome. The Romans, the believers who were in Rome, Romans chapter number 16 lines all of them out for us. Do you know what they were? They were some of the very first Christians to undergo the persecution from Nero. Nero's persecutions started within the city of Rome. And Paul writes this to those believers. Hey, I know you're getting stoned. Hey, I know your family's getting killed. Hey, I know you're being imprisoned. Hey, I know your dad was burnt alive last night. Hey, I know that your aunt was just beheaded. Hey, I know that that's going on. Avenge not yourselves. That is so powerful. Listen, that is, that's powerful truth. You don't have to get even. Why? Because God keeps record. And let me just tell you, God's a better record keeper than you and I are. Well, I don't know. I can take care of them. No. God is a better record keeper than you. And you say, good, I can't wait for them to get what's coming to them. Man, you ever watch one of those movies and you're like, I can't wait for this guy to get his comeuppance. Man, this guy's been a jerk the entire movie. We watched a movie with the kids. They had a little kid movie and there was a bully in the movie. And I'm like, someone needs to sock that kid in the face. <laughs> I can't wait for him to get his comeuppance. You know what? In life, it's horrible when we have that as a mindset. Oh, all right. God keeps a better record. God will, get it. God will take care of him. No, 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 no. How about we just say, God, it hurt. God, it caused me some grief. God, I may never, I may never let that person into my circle of trust again. But God, by your grace, I'm going to forgive him every time I think about it. It's in your hands. Some of you say, well, pastor, you don't understand what they did. You're right. And there are people in here that probably have undergone some very, very, very deep and godless hurts 
in your life. I know that to be true. You're right, I don't know them, but God does. And you know what God says? God says, I can help you with that. I can help you forgive. I can help you not take up vengeance. Because the spirit of aggression, spirit of aggression, it gets nowhere. 42,000 people killed, unjustly killed. Could have been avoided. How could it have been avoided? Avoid the spirit of arrogance. Instead, replace it with humility. Avoid the spirit of aggression. Instead, replace it with forgiveness. Know what else could have been avoided or uh, how it could have been avoided is if they would have avoided the spirit of anger. The Ephraimites, they come with pride, with arrogance. They're aggressive. We're going to burn down your houses. And you know what the response of the Gileadites and Jephthah was? It was the response of anger. The response of anger. The Gileadites were, the Ephraimites were very antagonistic. If you look at verse number four, it says that uh, the men of Gilead smote Ephraim because they, the men of Ephraim, said, ye Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassites. And so here you have the Ephraimites kind of just pushing the buttons of the Gileadites. Hey, you guys, listen, you guys are fugitives. You're not of us. We know that you're of the tribe of Manasseh, but you're not of us. You're not like us. Hey, you didn't call us to war, and we find the Ephraimites just pushing the buttons of the Gileadites. And you know what the Gileadites do? Judges chapter 12, verse 4 through 6, what we just read a moment ago, they react in anger. Jephthah leads them to war, and they they go through the whole Shibboleth and Sibboleth thing. All of it starts because of Jephthah's response to them. His response is clear in verse number 3. Hey, I did call you to war, but you didn't go. And so the Lord gave us the victory. That's a clear response. We'd say, well, I don't really see anger in that. No, I don't necessarily see anger in that wording. But I do see anger in the actions of Jephthah compared to the actions of Gideon. Gideon made peace. Same thing going on, but Gideon made peace in Judges chapter 8. Jephthah could have done the same thing, but the Ephraimites kept pushing and pushing and pushing and finally provoked the reaction of anger out of Jephthah. The Gileadites, they react in anger and they respond and that's the results are read in verse number six. Now, let me tell you this this morning. Just because the Ephraimites, even the, I'll, I'll just read you the text. Even though the Ephraimites continually pushed Jephthah and those of Gilead, Jephthah and the people of Gilead still had a choice in their response. Jephthah and Gilead, they could have done it differently. But instead, they respond in anger. You know what happens? And this is the progression, and I hope that we're seeing it. Here's the progression of any conflict. Pride. Pride. I can't believe you did that to me. Aggression, I'll do this against you. Anger, fine, I'll do this against you. That's that's the progression. When pride is there and conflict happens, it goes from pride to aggression to the response of anger. Any relationship, that's going to be what takes place. You think about you think about a marriage, think about a friendship, it starts in pride, it has revenge, and then anger sets in. 
I tell you right now, they could have avoided the conflict had they understood. Let's just not, let's not get this angry at each other. Let's not allow this to set in. In the passage, they respond in anger. And these were the people of God. They were family, if you will. They were supposed to be those who were fighting on the same side. But instead, we find Jephthah in anger responding to the Ephraimites. And listen, God is interested in his people dwelling together in peace, not in anger. Psalm 133, verse number one. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in what? Unity. Man, let's be together on this. Can I just encourage you today, don't have a cliff. Say, what do you mean? Don't have a cliff that you could be pushed off to make you snap. There's a lot of people, well, my my anger tolerance is pretty high, but once I hit that breaking point, oh, buddy. Don't have a breaking point. Don't have a cliff. Instead, we should have the spirit of Jesus Christ. What was Christ's spirit? What was his spirit? 1 Peter 2.23. Speaking of Jesus, who, when he was reviled, what did he do? He reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. But he committed himself to him that judges righteously. Anger, anger was against Christ. Aggression was against Christ. Pride was against Christ. And what did Jesus do? He reviled not again. Man, when he was threatened, he suffered not. Or excuse me, when he, was, when he suffered, he threatened not. Oh, I'll get even with you. That wasn't his response. Jephthah's anger, it was not justified. It was the wrong response to the accusation. And all of this could have been avoided had Ephraim not been arrogant and aggressive and have Jephthah not responded in anger. But their reactions were exactly what we read this morning, and so all of this culminated to what we called a moment ago the atrocity. All 42,000 people, verse number 6, the last part, and there fell at that time of the Ephraimites, 40 and 2,000. We have to know that more people died than 42,000 because this says of the Ephraimites, but if two nations go to war, usually there's more killed from both nations. So we have to know the Gileadites, they lost some men too. It just tells us about the Ephraimites. Men of Gilead, they defeat Ephraim. Yet, all of it results in the death of over 42,000 people. But can I just tell you this morning that it didn't have to go this way. It could have been avoided. All of it could have been avoided. I wonder what could have been different had the men of Ephraim just been humble and forgiving. I wonder what we would be reading if Jephthah and the men of Gilead would have just not let Ephraim push them to anger. But the truth is, this morning, listen, we cannot change their situations. All we can do is, all we can do is learn from it. I can't go back and change the death of these 42,000. 42,000 unnamed men. Maybe 1,000 more out of Gilead. We don't know. All whose death shouldn't have happened. We can't go back and change that, but we can learn from it. But you know what we could also do? We could probably look back and see similar situations in our lives. Situations that could have been different if we would have. Now, while I I don't know everything, but I would probably be safe to say I doubt any of your situations or my situations that we wish would have worked out differently resulted in the death of 42,000 people. I doubt that. 
but we still have outcomes and results that we wish we were different. Well, this morning, just as we can't listen, and stay with me and I'm done, just as we cannot go back and change their situation, and you cannot go back and change your situations, here's what you can do. You can save yourself from this week's coming situations. And so I can't help but wonder what outcomes, what results could you avoid this week if you determine to live with humility and forgiveness? What outcomes can be different in your life this week if you'll choose not to have that tipping point? But before we close, I want to give you what I believe all of this is rooted in. I believe the entire conflict between Ephraim and Gilead is rooted in pride. And the results often of the conflicts that we have, whether they're interpersonal conflicts or conflicts with coworkers, whatever it may be, the results of those conflicts usually happen because of that root of pride. And so this morning, I want to close by challenging you with two simple thoughts. They come from Scripture. James 4.10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. You know, it would help you not avoid some conflict this week. It would help you avoid some uh, uh, results this week in, in the home. Teenager, listen, teen, you want to know what's going to help you with your relationship with your parents this week? Don't be a proud teenager. Don't live with pride. It's got to be my way. Sir, do you want to know it's going to save you some conflict with your spouse this week? Don't have the my way or the highway mindset. Ma'am, do you want to know it's going to save you some conflicts, some results that will be negative with your husband this week? Don't live with the spirit of, I don't care what he says, I want, I, 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 I. At work this week, you know it's going to help you and your boss? Don't have to be right. But I am right. Stop it. That's how we get, isn't it? I know I don't have to be right, just I am right. Stop. Let's heed the, 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 the challenge from James to the early believers that were spread about, spread about the area of Jerusalem, Judea. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. First Peter is this. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God, he resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. I just want to challenge you with this thought this morning. This week, clothe yourself in humility. You know what you did this morning? Probably did what I did. Got dressed. I'm looking around, and I'm guessing everybody did. If, I, if there's someone that didn't, I'm not seeing you, so we're good. Listen, we got dressed today. I got up this morning, and uh, I, I looked in my, my closet, and I had my clothes picked out, and you know, I did. I put my pants on this morning. And I put my T-shirt on this morning. And I put my dress shirt on this morning. I put my tie on. I put my socks and my shoes on. I put my coat on. I'm clothing myself with this suit. I don't know who's made by. Hagar. That's a good brand. <laughs> Hagar clothing. We'll say Hagar. That's better. I put a Hagar suit on this morning. I'm clothed with it. You know what you see today? You see a haggard suit today. You see a, uh, I don't know how to say that one. You see a tie that was made in New York today, Miller tie. 
You see a Miller tie this morning. I don't know what brand my shirt is, but I bought it at JCPenney's. You see a JCPenney shirt this morning. You know why? Because I'm clothed in it. You know what this verse is saying? Hey, when you wake up in the mornings, go ahead and put on some humility. Hey, when you wake up in the morning, go ahead and put on some humility. Go ahead, go ahead and wake up tomorrow morning and say, God, the day doesn't revolve around me. Go ahead and wake up on Tuesday morning and say, God, I don't have to be first today. Go ahead and wake up on Wednesday morning and in your home and in your workplace, go ahead and wake up and say, God, it doesn't have to be all about me today. You know what you're doing? You're clothing yourself with humility. Go ahead and say, you know what? These results, this conflict doesn't have to be ended my way. I can defer. Hey, we don't have to eat at my restaurant today. Hey, we don't have to. Listen, I'm just saying this morning, let's be clothed with some humility. Why? We'll avoid conflict. And I don't know about you, I hate conflict. Listen, I hate it. I hate, <clears throat> I hate it in my home. I'll go as far as I, I hate conflict with people I don't even know. I hate it. If someone in the store, I've had people in the store get offended at me and like look at you rudely, I want to go to them and be like, I'm sorry. Whatever I did, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to. I, I won't, let's resolve this. You can ask, you can ask friends, you can ask staff members in here and friends in here. Daniel, I joke about Daniel, we've been friends for years. You can ask him. I hate conflict. There's been times I've texted him. Hey, are you mad at me? Like, what? Are you guys married? No, I'm just like, hey, I just I just hate conflict. I text Hannah all the time. Hey, are we okay? I say, Pastor, you're a little weird. Listen, I know I hate conflict. Do you know what brings the most conflict in your life and my life? It's when we're not clothed with humility. You want to avoid the death of 42,000 people, Jephthah? Ephraimites, Gileadites, you want to avoid it? Humble yourself. Humble yourself. This morning I want to ask one last question. And that's maybe you're here and you need to humble yourself and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. I want to ask you, maybe you need to avoid the conflict. Maybe you need to avoid the result of going to hell by receiving Christ into your life. I ask every single person, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you know your sins are forgiven? If you're here this morning, you're a guest, you're a regular attender, you're a member. If you're here and you'd say, you know what? I don't know if I'm going to heaven. I don't know that Christ is my Savior. I don't know that uh, my sins are forgiven. Today could be the day where you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Today could be the day where you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get away from the result of going to hell and paying for my own sin. It could be a day where you trust Christ. And if that's you this morning, in a moment, we're going to have what's called an invitation. We invite you to come and someone will take the Bible to show you how you can know you're going to heaven. If you do know Christ as your Savior today, here's the decision I want to ask you to make today. God, help me to avoid conflict and those bad results because this week I'm clothed with humility. I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed as we come to a time of invitation responding to the Lord. If you're here this morning and you'd be honest, be honest to say, Pastor Dennis, I don't know if I died today, I'm going to heaven. If that's you, Pastor Dennis, I do not know if I died today that I'm going to heaven. Would you slip your hand right up and right back down? Pastor Dennis, I don't know that today. Just right up and right back down. I'm not going to call you by name or embarrass you. I don't know that. Just right up and right back down. If that's you this morning in a moment, we would love to take a Bible and show you how you could know you're going to heaven. 
If you're here today, though, and you'd say, Pastor, I know I'm going to heaven. I've received Christ as my Savior. Would you slip your hand up and write back down? Pastor, I know that. Listen, if that's you today, and you know Christ as your Savior, would you make the decision to be clothed with humility this week? And we can look back and say, there's a lot of conflict I wish had not happened in my life. But we can't do anything about that. However, I can do something about this coming week. God, help me to be clothed with humility. God, help me to get rid of the pride in my life. Show me prideful areas in my heart, Lord. I want to challenge you. Determine today. Make the decision this morning from the result of the service, the result of the preaching. God, this week, help me to be clothed with humility. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.